0: about the story. We've been talking about this journey, uh, walking through scripture together. And last week we talked about uh, Moses and some of what Moses did. And so to to kind of recap, Moses, if you'll remember, after he left Egypt, spent about 40 years or so in the desert working for his father-in-law named Jethro. Then one day, just kind of randomly, out of nowhere. Uh, We're all familiar with what happened. He saw a burning bush uh, that was not consumed by the fire. Uh, And out of that came the voice of God telling him that he was going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt uh, to a land that he would show them. And then, of course, the plagues and Pharaoh uh, relenting after so many of them uh, and his own firstborn son, uh, passing away through those plagues, uh, but Moses at the burning bush, obeyed, although reluctantly, if you'll remember from the story uh, he says but but god I, I don't I don't speak very well i'm not I'm not a really great speaker." And God was like, "Well, that's okay, I got a backup plan." Uh, and he sent his brother Aaron with him, and together they helped lead the people out of Israel. Uh, I'm sorry, the people of Israel out of Egypt uh, together. Now, the, they took a, a, a bit of a decent journey, and we've got a map kind of showing uh, where they were, right? Um, so they were in Egypt, and they were trying to get through uh, kind of near where it says Kadesh Barnea. And um, if that, that particular road uh, is called the Way of the Sea. And so they were trying to get there, and it's roughly 175 miles or so. It's not an entirely long trip. If they had been driving, it would probably only take a few hours, but probably since they didn't have cars, it was going to take a little bit longer, so they were walking. So it should take, normally, a direct route from where they were in Egypt to where they were trying to get to should have taken about 11 days, give or take. And I wanted to try and put this into some perspective, right? Um, so um, on, on the next uh, slide, there's a, a, a quick verse that talks about um, where they were going. It took 11 days to go from Horeb, uh to Kadesh Barnea, which is the south side of the Promised Land uh, by the Mount Seir Road uh, in Deuteronomy 1-2. So about 11 days if they were walking. That's the direct route. Uh, so I wanted to put maybe some of this into perspective, right? So I, I Googled... Um, what, a, what it would take to walk about 175 miles uh, from Tulsa. So from Tulsa to Wichita, Kansas, is roughly 170-ish miles. Uh, walking should take you about 11, uh, 11 days. Oh, I'm sorry, two and a half days walking. Um, there's a little walking guy uh, in uh, Google Maps that I... Wasn't really aware of, but, and I don't know why you would want to walk that far, but <laughs> I think at some point it should just say, you really want to walk to Wichita from Tulsa? That's strange. Um, Google talking back to us, but, uh, but that's about what the ch- journey that they were trying to take was about, let's say, from Tulsa to, to, to Wichita. Now, that was the direct route, but of course we know that not all the time. Uh, the, the funny thing about God is that he doesn't really always lead us down the direct path. You know, sometimes we go through twists and turns to get to our destination. So a trip that should have taken roughly 11 days for this large group of people, because remember, if it's just us walking, it'd probably take two and a half days. That's without sleeping or, or, or eating. <laughs> uh, but you'd probably have to do that in that trip. Uh, but if we're talking a couple of million people that were being led out of the, the country of Egypt... It's probably going to take a little bit longer, so conservatively speaking, we'd say 11 days. Uh, But instead of a trip that should have taken them 11 days, it took them 39 years. (laughs) It's a bit of a difference. Now, we all know that they spent about 40 years in the desert wandering around, but they spent about a year at Mount Sinai. And we talked a little bit about what happened at Mount Sinai last week. And if you'll remember everything that happened at Mount Sinai, you know why would they have spent so long in one place, especially with everything that went down at Mount Sinai between the 10 commandments, the golden calf, everything that happened, why would they spend so long there? And I think I think that maybe what what prompted them to stay in one place for so long Was that maybe they needed to detox from Egypt. So, for so long, the people of Israel had lived uh, in Egypt as slaves. Now, it didn't start out that way. If you'll remember, all the way back to Joseph, they were brought in as guests. And then, somewhere along the line, the Pharaohs forgot who the Israelites were and put them to work. And so, for several hundred years, they lived there as slaves. And so in order to break them from their habits as they lived, with, lived there as slaves, they had to spend about a year outside of that environment where they said, you know what, now you're no longer a slave. You're no longer that, you don't have to live that kind of life. And it gave them an opportunity to start looking at what God could offer them. Because I think probably some of them had forgotten what that meant. Have you ever been on a long road trip? I know we we take a a, a pretty decent road trip uh, a couple of times a year. Uh, Misty's family lives in Iowa. Uh, Misty hates airplanes. And so we get to drive, which is (laughs) so great. Um, It's about uh, eight hours, seven and a half, if you're driving... uh, Pretty fast and you don't have to stop very much. Uh, But the funny thing about driving with kids is that they have tiny, tiny bladders. Uh, (laughs) And so um, we stop a lot. So a trip that should take us about seven and a half hours takes us usually nine and a half to ten hours. (laughs) And it's so funny driving that long of a distance with kids. And I'm sure if you've had kids and you've taken a long road trip, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, In fact, the Last time that we went to Iowa, uh, Misty found this really great little trick that she did um, with Kelsey because, uh, well, Braden doesn't care. He just kind of hangs out um, and then screams occasionally, Uh, but Kelsey um, can actually talk in sentences, which is a lot of fun. Um, But she, so, so immediately, right? I mean, we haven't even left town yet and she's like, how much longer is it going to be? We're not even we're not even out of town, (laughs) let alone out of the state. Let us get let's let's get to Missouri before we even start talking about how far it is. Um, But Misty found online, I think on Pinterest, this little thing um, where you take um, a little a little map. It's not even really a map. It's just your house, a line, and then the house you're going to. (laughs) So our house and Grandma Sherry's house, uh, and then a line between them. And then you take a clothespin. And you you move the clothespin along the line the further along the trip you go. Uh, And so that actually helped Kelsey understand it's still going to be a while. Look, our clothespin is still near our house. (laughs) We've got all of this other piece of paper to go. (laughs) But that actually helped. Uh, And so I don't know if if there was something similar that the Israelite parents did for their children as they were wandering through. Uh, the desert, trying to get to their destination. But it's funny that we call this the wandering because that's what this period is known as, the wandering, where Israel left Egypt and they're going to this land that God will show them. But I wanted to help us define what this, not only this period of time for the Israelites was, but what what the idea of that really means, so what the wandering really means. And it's, I think, living in the space between where I started And where I want to be. It's it's living in the space of where I've where I've been and where I want to go. I've been down in the depths, and I want to bring myself out of that and be better. Um, I've I've had a I've fought a lot with my spouse in the last couple of years, and I I want to stop fighting with my spouse. I've I've owed a lot of money to the government and I want to stop owing a lot of money to everybody. Uh, it's, It's that space where you were at one place, but you want to be at another. And I think a lot of times we have to remember that, and I don't think this just applies to the story, but I think this really applies to our lives, that it's not always about the journey It's about the destination. And what I mean by that is, when we think about our lives and when we think about what it means to be a Christ follower, it's not always about the journey. It's about getting to the end. Because I think, although there's a lot of important work for us to do while we're here, the reward is truly at the end. Because the journey is going to have lots of twists and turns and ups and downs and make us go backwards and forwards and upside down and sideways and crossways. But no matter what we've gone through in the journey, it's the destination that's the best part. Although it takes us 20 minutes to get from Inola to Claremore, it's Grandma Sherry's house that we're really looking forward to. (laughs) So I've got a little bit of a quiz, and I hope you'll play along, uh, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to raise my hand on each one of them because I think I fall victim to each, each one, uh, but I've got a little quiz to talk about uh, the journey, right? And, I, and I've got a little bit of, um, of a reason for doing it because I think sometimes in the journey we, we tend to be in a hurry. So let's, let's maybe take this quiz. Um, let's, let's just say, if you feel comfortable raising your hand, saying you, you, you've done that before, please do. If not, that's okay, too. But uh, how about this? I have cut through a gas station to skip a red light. <laughs> or whatever's around the red light, Taco Bell or whatever. <laughs> Occasionally. Maybe once or twice. A day. Okay. Uh, I frequently look at my watch or a clock that's nearby. So I can see some of you raising your hand. (laughs) People that talk or move really slow irritate me. (laughs) How about this? It's annoying. When the person in front of you at the grocery store writes a check. Okay, see, that's probably going to be much of all of us younger people. Uh, I don't carry, I don't carry uh, cash. Uh, I only have a, a debit card. <laughs> and so whenever anybody asks me for cash, I'm like, I, uh, you want to go to the ATM real quick? I can probably get you some. But, um, but I think that's probably, we fall victim to that a lot. How about this? Um, when they're talking too slow, I finish other people's sentences. But for here, there it is. Uh, ooh, this is probably a good one. When I'm running late, I get irrationally upset. I think I do. I fall victim to that. Have you ever been traveling to a vacation? You, you're not going to go to work. You're not uh, your your destination is somewhere nice, it's somewhere you've wanted to be, you've saved up, you're going on this vacation, but for some reason you're just in this hurry. And maybe the people that you're traveling with look over at you and say, Why are you in such a hurry to go on vacation? And you just say, Well, we gotta get there, we've got to make good time, we've got to get all this stuff done. <clears throat> But I think the question really is, I think that the people that are with you asking you this, why are you in such a hurry? I think what they really mean is, well, you know, what are you going to do when we get there? Well, probably nothing. (laughs) Well, then why are you in a hurry to do nothing? (laughs) (laughs) And I think we could all agree to this statement that God is not in a hurry. (laughs) God is not in a hurry. With everything that we see from the story so far, with everything that we've probably seen in our own lives, we can probably all attest to the fact that God is not in a hurry. And here's some examples. Just from what we've seen so far in the Bible, Abraham waited decades for the nation that he was promised to have that son that started that nation that he was promised. Joseph was a slave and a prisoner for some 13 years before his story finished out. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before God decided to use him through calling him in that burning bush. David waited 20 years to be king after he was anointed. And so how did the Israelites deal with their time in the wilderness? We're going to take a look at some scriptures here in just a second, but I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. They did a lot of whining. (laughs) And I'm not, in, I'm not entirely sure that I could say I would do anything different, but let's look at Numbers 11 and verse 4. It says something funny. The riffraff among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. That's from the message, the version of the Bible called the message. But other versions say the outskirts or the outsiders among the people had a craving, and soon had the people of Israel whining. So the riffraff of Israel. I just like the way, it, I just like the word riffraff. But the people on the outside of this large group of people started whining and complaining about everything that had been done for them so far. Moses, all of this manna. Uh... Right? Do you remember that part of the story where they're so hungry, but God is providing for them every day? Every day that you'll wake up. Where there was dew, there will be manna. Now, I've never personally had manna. I've heard about what manna is. I've heard that it's not the most delicious meal in the world. It's just just bread. (laughs) But it was something. They were in the desert, keep in mind. And so while God was providing for them, and every day they would have manna, and so at some point, the riffraff, the outsiders, those along the edges, started complaining and saying, what well, all this man, uh, can't we have something else? My daughter's in a really fun stage of life right now, um, depending on how she decides to act over the next couple of weeks. I don't know that she'll have much more of a life, but um, she has, um, for some reason, decided that she, she has become very spoiled, and so we're trying to work through some of that attitude, but it's a very fun thing to do. And by fun, I mean awful. Uh, <clears throat> but she's, um, she's, I think, picked up on some of what the Israelites were doing here in Scripture, in Numbers. Lots of, lots of fun whining. And so I can understand Moses' frustration, and maybe even uh, a little bit of frustration that God was seeing. But I think something that we can all agree on is that complaining is contagious. Could we agree to that? I know that I've fallen victim to it if a a friend of mine or a coworker starts complaining about something. Maybe we have a a new policy or a procedure that we have to follow uh, at work. uh, And if they start complaining about it, sometimes I fall victim to it and I start complaining right along. But wouldn't it be a better attitude instead to just say, you know what, maybe this will work better. Maybe we should try it. is <laughs> not so bad. <laughs> we could have nothing. <laughs> that would be bad. But complaining is contagious. It only takes one person in a family. It only takes a couple of neighbors. It only takes a few co-workers. It only takes a handful of people inside of a church to really bring down Everybody else. And I think the funny thing to point out about the Israelites is that they really had started complaining before they even left the driveway. We see that in Exodus chapter 16. I think that's up there. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. (laughs) All we've got is manna. We were slaves in Egypt, but at least we had food there. (laughs) Can't you hear them now? What's funny is that as much whining as the Israelites were doing, there was an equal amount of God's grace and provision. Because while the Israelites continued to whine and they continued to complain, God continued to deliver them and God continued to provide for them. But, as I think God may have a tendency to do, eventually, I think he got to the point where he had had just about enough. And so in Exodus 11 and verse 18... Is it up there? No? Okay, cool. (laughs) Hey, let's do that. (laughs) He says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, and you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If we only had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you're going to eat it. (laughs) For a whole month. (laughs) There was nothing else. Just meat. They complain for so long that God says, all right, you want meat? Here, have meat for a whole month. (laughs) You know, maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes we just need a little perspective. Maybe when we're complaining about something, maybe we should take a step back or have somebody take a step back for us (laughs) and point out a little perspective. There's four words that I hope we can all take away today that help us remember about what the Israelites were going through, about how that may correlate to some uh, things that we experience in our own lives. But there are these four words that I want us all to take away today. It could be worse. <laughs> right? It could be worse. Maybe you've had manna to eat. All that, that's all you had to eat for an entire month. <laughs> Or maybe a couple of months. But you know what? It could be worse. Maybe you've got a six-year-old at home who thinks that she is the most spoiled thing in the world and deserves everything. But it could be worse. It's funny. The other day we were... My wife was at the mall. Met me to have some dinner. And uh, (coughs) my son... Who still is too young to really know what's going on? Uh, <laughs> Kelsey will sometimes get things, and Braden doesn't, just because he doesn't know the difference. He just is whatever. Um, but we decided that it, it would be a good idea. Braden has really gotten into Mickey Mouse recently. Um, in fact, he just he calls him Nouse, Mouse, Mouse, <laughs> Mouse, um, <clears throat> and so we went. To the Disney store and picked him up a little Mickey Mouse. Uh, well, Kelsey felt that she deserved something as well. And we tried to have a conversation with her that just because Buddy gets something doesn't mean that she gets something. But she did not understand that. So, <laughs> so we got to have those fun conversations, but it could be worse. When we've got people that Hurt us or leave us. It could be worse. When we've got no money in the bank account, it could be worse. When our car breaks down in the middle of the day, it could be worse. There's a lot of things that we can that we experience in life that seem like it's the worst thing in the world but truthfully it could be worse and so hopefully through this story and through what the Israelites went through we can take a look at some of the things that we've done in our life and say you know what it could be worse And you know, I think it's, it's easy for us as outsiders, as people really far removed from the Israelites in the desert, to look at this story and say, so you were slaves, right? God took you out of that, led you through the desert, admittedly for a really long time. Something that should have taken 11 days, took 39 years, 40 years. I get it. It was a long time. But still, you were slaves and now you weren't. That was, that's good. It could be worse. And every day you were in the desert, although you didn't have anything that you had done yourselves to get food, God was providing you food. Well, that's cool. Because <laughs> it's not like there was a grocery store that you, were, that you had the opportunity to go to but just didn't. No, God was giving you food. That's cool. So I think maybe as outsiders, it's easy for us to look at the story and just say, really? Really, Israel? You're complaining over this? And maybe for us to put ourselves in their sandals and say, you know what? I don't know that I would have complained so much. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, really? I think if I was in their shoes, because like we talked about, complaining is contagious... I think I may have fallen victim just as much. And I think it's so easy for me to forget those four words. It could be worse. And I can think of times, even in the last several days, where I complained over something that didn't need complaining over. Because I forget sometimes that even through those things, God's provision in my life is such, where I should do, I should do nothing else but praise. There was a story that I heard about a missionary who went to be to minister to a, a leper colony, and she while she was there, um, it was her task to lead them in. Um, some congregational singing. And this leper colony was ousted by their communities. They, were, they had to all live together because no one else would take them in. And so here there were this group of lepers all singing together. And she had gone through some of the songs that she had prepared ahead of time. And, and at the end she said, is there, is there any requests? Is, is, is there anything that anybody else would like to sing uh, tonight? And she saw a fingerless hand raise up from the back and a woman stand up who was missing her nose and ears. And she just said, can we sing Count Your Blessings again? I think that maybe, hopefully, offers a little perspective. To have no community, to have no family except those of the same affliction around you. To be suffering from a disease that makes you lose pieces of yourself. And yet to request to sing, count your blessings. And I think it's easy for us to look at that, somebody like that and say, but what blessings are there? But it could be worse. It could be worse. Something that I think we should remember is that whining is the opposite of worship. In Numbers 14 and 11, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? When they were hungry, God provided them manna to eat from nothing. When they got tired of manna, God provided them meat from nothing to eat. When they were thirsty, God had Moses tap a rock with his staff and water burst forth. So they had water to drink. And yet, so many of them didn't see the opportunity to worship through that. And so, as we look at this story, this portion of the story called the wandering, and we look at what Israel had gone through from slavery to free, wandering around the desert for, I get it, a long time. But in everything that happened that God had taken them through, providing them things despite their attitude, the Israelites never took the opportunity to say, you know what? It could be worse. We could be back in Egypt as slaves. And instead of looking for the opportunity to worship, they instead fell victim to whining. What I think and what I want to leave us with today is that we should be acknowledging God for what He's done, but instead, while God is holding up the walls of the Red Sea, we're just looking down, complaining about the mud between our toes. You see, when we have an opportunity to worship God even through the rough times of life, and instead complain we're falling victim to the opposite of worship. Because in every situation, it could be worse. So instead of maybe looking down, complaining about the mud between our toes, we should be in awe of a God who with His breath and words holds up the walls of a sea. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives. God, we know that there's a lot of times in our life where it just gets hard. There's a lot of times where it really feels like there is nothing else to do but whine and complain. But Father, we're asking today that in those moments where we feel like there's nothing else for us to do, that You would gently remind us that Your love, Your grace, and Your provision is always there, no matter what's surrounding us. And that instead of taking an opportunity to whine, we instead... Worship you through all of the trials of life. Because we know it's ultimately about the destination. About being with you forever. God, we love you. We thank you for taking us through those tough times. And we thank you for the good times in life where we get to celebrate as well. But Father, help us to remember. No matter what comes at us it could be worse. And so much so that we will worship you through the hard times. That we will worship you through the good. Because we look forward to the hope and promise of an eternity with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to invite you this morning that if you need to pray or talk, with any one of us, about some of those rough patches in life that you're going through, we invite you to do that. You can come forward today, and there will be people here to pray with you. If you want to know more about what this all means and the sacrifice that Jesus made and what that can do for your life and what that means for your heart, we invite you to come for that as well. This morning we're going to stand and we're going to sing together the song of invitation. Now would you do that with me as we come together?